Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. And I'm Ada Shen in Paris. First, I'll look at the week's news. China's massive murky lending to sub-Saharan African countries, though good for growth, increases their credit risks and can obstruct alternative sources of loans, according to a report from Moody's. Chinese lending is helping to pay for infrastructure Africa sorely needs, but investment that is funded through debt will increase credit risks if it does not generate sufficient returns. And infrastructure projects, in particular, are often expensive and take a long time to complete. This means that choosing the right projects is critical, but poor governance and weak institutions in sub-Saharan African countries, compounded by their struggle to access financing in the first place, can lead to bad decisions, and China's lending practices encourage this, the report said. The U.S. has warned of threats posed by China's drive to get ahead in 5G technology, saying that the Chinese government may conduct sabotage and espionage using the networks. A report by the U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission said China's central role in manufacturing global information technology may offer the country's government the opportunities to force Chinese manufacturers to compromise 5G equipment. China has been racing to develop 5G after it trailed its foreign counterparts in setting wireless standards for the current 4G system. The country intends to start testing commercial quality 5G services next year and could roll out national networks in 2020. Unhygienic transportation of pigs is to blame for the spread of deadly African swine fever across China, authorities said. A government survey found that long-distance transportation was the main cause for the virus's wide reach, blaming vehicles that do not meet health requirements or that haven't been cleaned or disinfected. Seventeen provinces have been hit by the disease, which does not affect humans but can be fatal to infected pigs. The outbreak in China, the world's largest pork market, is pushing China's hog prices higher and could force a shakeup of the global pork market, sending ripples through the grain and animal feed industries as well. China announced plans to ban private kindergarten operators from getting funding through public listings, following a public outcry over several cases of child abuse by kindergarten teachers. 
Last year, New York listed RYB education caused an uproar after several parents alleged that at least eight children were abused by adults at one of its kindergartens in Beijing, with needle marks found in the toddlers' bodies. RYB's scandal came just one week after a similar case involving a daycare center in Shanghai that was affiliated with China's largest online travel company, Ctrip. In personnel changes, Volkswagen CEO Herbert Diess will take over his company's business in China from next year after the current China head retires. Along with a slumping market and the U.S.-China trade war, carmakers will also have to contend with a new policy due to start just when Diess takes over a new energy vehicle credit trading system, which is linked to the production of zero and low emission vehicles. Those not making enough green cars will have to buy credits from those that do. China is a hugely important market for Volkswagen. Its Chinese operations were responsible for half its global sales in 2017. It's not surprising Dees is taking more of an interest. The Chinese government has said it expects that company leadership is routinely present in the country. Former PetroChina President Zhang Jianhua has taken the helm at China's energy agency. The National Energy Administration had been without a leader since September, after the former head, Nur Bekri, an ethnic Uyghur and previous chief of the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region, stepped down amid an anti-graft investigation. Zhang is the first director of the NEA to have a background in energy since the authority's formation in 2008. He has worked at the petrochemical industry for over 30 years. Zhang's four predecessors had little experience in the industry before they headed the regulator, and two of them were ousted in corruption scandals. Liu Tiannan, who was removed as head of the NEA in March 2013, was sentenced to life imprisonment in 2014 for taking more than 5 million U.S. in bribes. Chinese gaming giants are still reeling from a halt on government approvals for new titles. NetEase, the country's second-largest game developer, reported that its profit for the third quarter fell by 37%. Larger rival Tencent's overall profit rose, but its gaming revenue fell by 4%. The industry has been mired in uncertainty since March, thanks to a freeze on new game approvals in the world's largest video game market. There has not been any official signal about when the freeze might be lifted. China's education ministry has told universities to stop making financial aid applicants beg for the cash in public speeches. The practice, popularly dubbed the, quote, misery competition, resembles a reality television show and often results in onstage tears and students revealing private details about the extent of their family's poverty in an effort to seem like the most deserving applicants. Critics have long complained that these misery competitions hurt students' dignity and do little to help universities sort out genuine applicants from fraudsters. Thanks, Ada. Let's turn now to some of Caixin Global's staff reporters for a deeper dive into some of the week's big stories. First up is Olivia Ryan. Olivia, this is a funny and kind of zeitgeisty piece about a principal without principles and his cryptic crypto mining sideline. So uh, tell us first, what do we need to know about crypto, which is one of those things that usually gets bro-splained to me by some guy at a party that I want to escape from desperately. All you really need to know about cryptocurrencies for this story is that once a cryptocurrency comes into existence, the most famous being Bitcoin, of course, but in this story, we're going to talk about one called Ether. So once the cryptocurrency comes into existence, it needs a machine called a miner, which is basically just a fancy computer that uses a lot of computing power and electricity to solve these complex mathematical puzzles in order to keep the network going. 
Oh, <laughs> thank God. I didn't have to endure another blockchain explanation. Okay, uh, so what about this a school principal? Last year in Hunan province, which is in the south of China, the headmaster of a high school decided that he was going to get rich on cryptocurrencies, on Ether. So he spent 10,000 yuan and bought a miner and then quickly realized that it was very expensive to have a miner in your house. And it was burning through an extra 21 kilowatt hours of electricity per day, which is a lot of electricity. So he thought, oh, I won't put it in my house anymore. I'll put it in the school. And then he bought seven more miners. And then he recruited the vice principal to also get a miner. So they were mining all day and night. It was really noisy. Uh, it was using up a lot of electricity. And it cost the school an extra 17,000 yuan in electricity for a year. These miners were doing the mining all day, all night. And the teacher dormitory wasn't that far away from the teaching building where these machines were. But they could even hear that the machines were going. It also made the internet really slow. There were some electricity blackouts, apparently. And at one point, one of the teachers raised concerns to the headmaster that our electricity bill was abnormally high. And apparently in response, the headmaster said that it was because they were using too much AC and heating. So the headmaster and the vice principal got caught and fired. So what were they actually charged with then? It's, it's not the actual mining that was illegal then, right? As with many countries, China has a very complicated relationship with cryptocurrencies. Recently, they, they banned all virtual currency exchanges, and they've been really cracking down and trying to regulate cryptocurrencies in China. Earlier this year, the Internet Financial Risk Regulation small group issued guidelines trying to tell enterprises to withdraw from the mining business, but civilians can still mine, so they weren't doing anything illegal in actually mining. However, they were stealing the school's electricity, which is where the problem was. Well, thanks for that, Olivia, and I am sure we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you very much. Next up is David Curtin, reporter at Tyson Global. Another story about mining, but this time in the more traditional sense in that it's about mining for resources, for metals. Uh, but it's decidedly non-traditional, too, in that it's taking place on the ocean floor, right? Uh, what's the story here, David? Well, I guess the immediate story is that Xinhua reported that on Sunday, a deep-sea research vessel came back after a, around roughly half a year voyage out to the depths of the West Pacific, where it's been looking for samples of cobalt on the crusts of the ocean, I think around 4,000 meters deep. And it's come back with these uh, crusts around what they say is 30 centimeters in thickness. They've never found any cobalt so rich before. But the significance of that isn't just them going around scraping the ocean for the hell of it. It's that uh, China is looking for minerals and metals that are deep beneath the ocean in the hope of eventually being able to exploit these and mine them. Oceans are pretty vast. So uh, why in this location and why not somewhere else? And uh, this has to be pretty difficult and dangerous, I imagine, yeah? China is already has a lot of mining operations across the world, largely looking for metals like cobalt for supporting its drive into electric vehicles. What it's doing in the ocean is it's trying to essentially get ahead of the curb where private companies aren't going yet and thinking about what will be the uh, future areas where it can be harvesting resources from the earth. But um, this leads to um, a lot of problems in itself. 
One reason why we don't have ocean mining at the moment is it's just totally impractical to try and dig these things up from the bottom of the ocean. I mean, you have to go, what, 4,000 meters deep to try and get close to any of these? What sort of private company has the funds to, you know, go into something where it's potentially so risky, where you're in an industry that's driven by uh, commodity prices, things can rise and fall very quickly, and it can scupper projects. The difference is with China, uh, China tends to think a lot more strategically and think ahead, and the idea of some immediate loss losses aren't so much an issue for the Chinese state. So China's been exploring this with quite a bit of vigor in the last few years. David, can you give us a sense of the regulatory framework around this in terms of who has rights to mine and where, and maybe talk about the environmental risks, which I have to assume are there for sure. Uh, or is this is just up for grabs right now? I mean, are there rules in place at all? Well, yeah, this is one of the other main issues that's keeping private companies away from getting involved in this so far is that around 50% of uh, what we know of these metals under the sea are in areas that don't belong to any one country, like deep in the nether regions of the Pacific. But there's a UN organization that's charged with uh, trying to give out contracts for companies that want to go and explore. Now, one of the potential real difficulties and problems here is that we don't really know what the impact of any of this deep sea mining could be. And it seems that, or at least in the eyes of some of the experts that I spoke to, um, mining companies are kind of taking the lead in being able to go out and do this exploration before we can really actually know what the potential risks are environmentally wise. And the other issue is how are you going to be monitoring what someone's doing on the ocean bed in the middle of nowhere? Um, so it's a real quandary because we're only just starting to discover how vast and rich some of these oceans are in terms of bacteria um, and micro microorganisms that could, uh, I don't know, uh, be potentially of interest. But we may be destroying all of this life before we really understand it at the moment. Well, uh, that's an ominous note to end on. But uh, David, thanks for talking to us. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Cheers. And that's this week's show. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is powered by SupChina and is produced by Kaiser Guo and Tanner Brown with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Li Xin of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Fei for the music. Be sure to check out all the other shows about contemporary China in the expanding Seneca network. And be sure to follow the news from China every day at SupChina. Sign up for our free email newsletter at subchina.com. Take care.